Now it's time to check in with one hot mama. Let's give it up for the Fifth of Pop, the podcast edition with my beautiful wife Jen. So weird. I am weird. Thanks for joining us, Jen. Hi. So, what do you want to talk about today? Movies. Movies. Uh, our latest Netflix picks. Mm-hmm. Okay. What have we got uh, up? This film is not yet rated. Uh, yes. Thank you for smoking mm-hmm. and The Illusionist. All right. So, kind of a, a documentary, a mockumentary, or I don't know, a satire, I guess. And yeah. A conventional, uh, good old fashioned drama. Well, let's start with This Film is Not Yet Rated. Uh, what's it about? It's a documentary about the rating system in mm-hmm. America, the, the MPAA. MPAA. And uh, it's by who? Kirby Dick. Right. He's the writer, director, and there are a lot of really good. Uh, in-depth interviews with filmmakers also about it. It pre- presents the, the kind of the filmmaker side of the story. Mm-hmm. And he attempts to get some answers from the MPAA, but ultimately they don't stick up for themselves. They don't they don't give us any answers. So it ends up being a little bit one-sided. Well, that was, I, I think that, you know, it was sort of the uh, Michael Moore brand of documentary, which right, is there, right. th- there is no attempt to be, even-handed here it was definitely kirby dick had an agenda and it was it, it, i think he was in it a bit too much as far as that goes i didn't think so i think he really wanted to make something a little bit more even-handed but he ended up out of necessity having to do something very one-sided because yeah, i think he, he he seemed to have been driven by frustration to be more provocative right basically the mpaa decides the ratings of films and it's a quote unquote volunteer organization volunteer rating system but uh, the people that rate the movies are anonymous and the effect of the ratings although they say it's not censorship uh, in the commercial marketplace basically equal that because if you get an nc-17 rating right, it's the kiss of death they're not going to show your movie they're right. not going to promote it you won't see ads for it so you know you're 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 basically having to market this film without um the aid of media right so uh, he basically tries at first to kind of uh, explain the problems with that. I think, of course, the most common uh, point that he makes is that uh, apparently the MPAA has no problem with violence, but it does with sex. And not just sex, but specifically anything <laughs> but the missionary Unconventional, right, right. Unconventional, same sex, uh, things like that. Um, there is a lot of uh, NC-17 stuff in the film. You don't want to watch this film in front of your parents. No, not uh, not film for the family viewing um, although I guess that's the point but you it's all about whether or not you have the choice um, so I but I have to say I was like uh, you know three thirty seconds into it and there's a great deal of stuff on the screen that I was not expecting to see but uh, he makes his point very well on that score the other thing of course is that the ratings board is an anonymous group of quote-unquote parents right which, as he finds out, is not entirely true. Right. I mean, you're talking about people with kids in their 20s. Right. And they're also very wealthy and tend to be very conservative. Yeah, the whole point being that they're representative of average Americans, but they're not. Right, exactly. So there are actually very good interviews with, um, like I said, with filmmakers. Mm-hmm. Kevin Smith has a very funny bit. Right, he does. Uh, and uh, also Ar- Darren Aronofsky was in here mm-hmm. as well. He was the, the guy behind Pie. Right, and uh, he didn't look at all like I thought he would. No, no, he's he's very young and and almost kind of cute and kind of normal. I mean, yeah. I was convinced he'd kind of look like uh, some kind of strung out crack addict or something <laughs> because of the kind of films that he makes. But uh, nope, he looked pretty normal. I think that the actual interviews with actual filmmakers that have come up against the effect of the the rating system that was the best part of the film. Yeah, it was definitely because you can really sense. 
their frustration at having their art judged by people that aren't that clearly don't get what they're trying to achieve or in fact uh, if they do they don't want that message getting out right i I did want to mention that one of the uh, directors that uh, is interviewed is john waters yeah he's great actually if um you watch the deleted scenes he actually has a very funny uh bit with kevin smith Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. The thing about the, the John Waters is that uh, he had a lot of biting things to say. He's certainly someone who's clearly run up against the rating system. But he's times. very articulate about it. You know, he has a lot to say, but he um, he comes across as really intelligent and articulate also. Yeah, I mean, I liked him his interviews more than I, I've liked his movies. But <laughs> uh, I think I respect him more now that I, I've seen him behind the camera a little. Um, the last section of the film kind of talks about the appeals process. Because when your film does get a rating you don't like, you supposedly can appeal to get it changed. Well, you can supposedly, but ultimately most of the filmmakers fail because the process is very strict. You go in and you don't, you know, the filmmakers don't know the identities of anybody Mm -hmm. they're talking to. They're not allowed to ask certain questions. They're not allowed to compare the scene, the objectionable scenes in their films to scenes in other films. Right. I mean, I thought that was one of the biggest problems, which is, you know, precedent is a big part of any legal argument. But right. in this environment, you cannot say, hey, wait a minute, you know, Ghostbusters 2 could blankety blank, but why can't I blankety blank? That's right. totally verboten. Right. So um, it's basically futile to to fight the system. Ultimately, most appeals are denied. So, you know, it's it's stacked against the filmmaker from yeah, the beginning. Yeah. So but, you know, I think that uh, it is a very important film to see if you like movies, definitely to see what any is... movie fan needs to see it yeah. because it really gives you an idea of what kind of things filmmakers have to deal with. Yeah. And almost how arbitrary the rating system is and oh, how totally worthless arbitrary. it might be. And uh, you should just make your own choices as adults and choose what you want to see it, you know, completely independent of this supposedly volunteer rating system. Uh, our second film is Thank You for Smoking. It's a parody uh, of sorts. It's about um, the tobacco industry and politics and culture. Definitely a satire. Definitely a satire. It stars Aaron Eckhart from The Core mm-hmm. um, as a tobacco lobbyist who uh, is facing disapproval from uh, family members and the public. The and- public. And, you know, he has to be a good role model for his son. But he's doing something that, you know, most people don't really approve of. Yeah, I mean, I, I heard a lot about the uh, tobacco angle and how it might have may or may not have been tongue in cheek, you know, making a case for tobacco. But I really think that uh, the point of the film was about the choices that he had to make to do something objectionable, to be evil, because one, he was good at it. And, and two, he had to pay the mortgage, Right, as, as he, he says. said. And he had, he had, you know, it's a, it's a role that somebody has to do, so why not him? So I thought uh, I enjoyed the film for the most part. I th- I liked it. I thought Aaron Eckhart was really good because he looks like an every guy. He mm-hmm. he looks like um, somebody who would be in that position, and he was really believable as Nick Naylor, the tobacco lobbyist. And there were a lot of uh, other familiar faces, good actors in uh, making appearances in this film. Maria Bello, who plays mm-hmm. an alcohol lobbyist. Um, J.K. Simmons, also known as Skoda from Law and Order. <laughs> plays um, Naylor's boss. Katie Holmes is in this film. Oh, yes. 
um, yeah, lots of lots of hey, it's that guy, guys. Mm-hmm. And uh, I thought Maria Bella was was a great character as well. She's only in a few scenes, but yeah, she's in a few scenes. Um, Nick meets um, with lunch occasionally with other lobbyists, two other people a, right. in the same position that everyone hates. Them. Right, a gun lobbyist and an alcohol lobbyist. Right. And Maria Bella is very funny as the alcohol lobbyist. Mm-hmm. She steals the. I think she steals the scenes that she's in. And Rob Lowe is in this film. Yeah, he's really funny. He. He has a really good sense of satire, I think, because I, I like him in this movie and I really liked him in the Austin Powers movies, too. Mm-hmm. He um, he plays a Hollywood type and he's really funny. Also. Right, right. I mean, he basically it's for the money, too. And he goes, hey, we can help you make uh, smoking glamorous and films again. But uh, speaking of Hollywood, though, what do you think about Katie Holmes? OK, a part. OK, just. Gossip columns aside, <laughs> ignoring all the stuff that they're saying in gossip columns, I really don't think Katie Holmes is much of an actress. No, I mean, really, this film was supposed to be a biting satire, and Katie Holmes is a big puffy marshmallow. It just she's and she's supposed to play a journalist for crying out loud. Who could fall for that? Well, she's supposed to play a, a siren, you know, a really sexy vampy reporter that can get a guy to say anything. And to me, she's she still looks like she's twenty two years old, and you know. I, I don't think that she had the the edginess that maybe somebody like Catherine Zeta-Jones yeah. would have brought to it. The character had to at least be a little older, I think. Yeah. And, you know, again, she, she was just too soft. And I mean, already the scenario that she gets involved with is completely impro- implausible and I think the weakest part of the film. But because it was her, it was even worse. Um, I, 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 I think I would have enjoyed the film a, a little bit more if it was just a little more meaner. Yeah, I was looking for something more biting, something with more pointed criticism mm-hmm. at, at either side. But as it was, I kind of felt like it was heading toward a place I didn't really like. And yeah, I mean, it wasn't a happy ending, but it wasn't. Uh, it was still kind of neat and cute, rather than I think it could have gone someplace really dark. It could have, and and it just felt kind of sloppy and weak toward the end. But it was still not bad. No, I, it was enjoyable. It was enjoyable. All right, and our last film is uh, a pretty straightforward drama, I think. The Illusionist, out last year. I liked this movie. Mm. I liked it a lot. I had no expectations going in to this film. I really didn't know anything about it, but I was surprised at how much I liked it. Yeah, I mean, definitely uh, the cinematography stood out. A lot of people were talking about that. Uh, really distinct uh, filmmaking, I think. I think the reason for that is because the movie is set in turn-of-the-century Vienna, mm-hmm. and I think they wanted to give it kind of the look of turn-of-the-century news footage. Yeah, I mean, a lot of uh, washed-out colors, a lot of uh, dark scenes, and a lot of uh, camera flicker there. I mean, I think you, some people might say pretentious, but I think, again, given the setting and the story, it, it kind of worked. Um, well, what's the film about? It's about a man played by Ed Norton. Um, his name is Eisenstein, and he determines early on um, in his life that he has a talent for magic. And um, as a young man, he falls in love with Jessica Beale's character. She is an extremely privileged uh, woman, and she's you know from a very wealthy family. And she becomes engaged to another man. So they can't be together. It's your typical uh, star-crossed love. And, you know, that uh, heartbreak is part of what propels him into this uh, nebulous life as a magician. Um, but uh, over time, he becomes so successful that his magic shows are so popular that the government starts seeing him as a threat. Paul Giamatti plays Chief Inspector Uhl, who is in charge um, of investigating Eisenstein and, and figuring out what he's up to. I, Paul Giamatti is really great 
he's probably the best part of anything he's in really mm-hmm. I enjoyed he's really in great film. in this and uh, the the bad guy the uh, the fiance of Jessica Biel's character who he was a great bad guy Rufus Sewell he was in Dark City he's he's that kind of scary looking guy with the really blue eyes mm. and he's the best villain he's a great villain yeah, i mean you hate him just watching him that's the thing but he's so charismatic you you kind of have to watch him because he's just so interesting you have to wait and see what he does next what did you think of uh, ed norton though as the star of the show he was you know I, I think ed norton is good in some things and not so good in others but i i was surprised he's good in this i mean he really had to be understated and and he had to be really repressed and uh, whether that's uh, him at all personally i think he did the the role very well in that respect yeah he did it he was he was great and uh, Ed Norton apparently did all of his magic tricks, or a lot of them himself. Really? I didn't know that. Yeah. So, uh, again, the magic's fun to watch, too, although, of course, filmmaking lets you get away with a little more than you normally would. <laughs> now, the other thing that re- I really liked about this film that I didn't expect was a kind of twist ending. You know, you, when you go into a movie like The Sixth Sense or The Usual Suspects, you kind of know from word of mouth that there's going to be a twist ending. Right, you're kind of looking for it. But with this this particular one, I didn't know it was coming. Yeah, you know, I, mean, I, I hadn't think, heard the buzz about it or anything. Yeah, we must have been reading the wrong message boards because I usually spoil myself silly for any movie, especially if there's some kind of twist to it. But I didn't expect it, and so it was it was delightful. It was, and it was really well done. It wasn't um, the kind of twist where you scratch your head thinking, "Huh?" Yeah, th- th- that was totally implausible. There's no way that actually would have happened. I mean, of course, there is the uh, flashbacks that explain it all. But again, you know. It wasn't uh, it wasn't in your face. It, there wasn't all of this winking all the way through that it had happened. No, it was very well done, and it worked very well. So uh, let's hit our three picks, our Netflix picks here for the star ratings from Jen, starting with this film is not yet rated. Five. Five stars, really? Yeah, I just think it's a very important film to see. Yeah, if, can, if you're into movies. I can see that point. Uh, I think the Michael Moore approach was a little too heavy-handed for me, but again, you're right. It's something you should see. Uh, thank you for smoking. Three and a half. Three and a half stars. Uh, a good satire, but it could have been so much more. Yeah. And finally, The Illusionist. Four. Four stars. A cinematic treat and a pretty good story as well. Yeah, great. It was. It's great. It really is. All right. Well, thank you for joining us, Jen. My pleasure.